All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ask a Pastor. Very happy to bring Matt Plett on to the show today. Matt, why don't, uh, Matt, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your church and what's going on? Sure. Uh, I am a bivocational dairy farmer and pastor. Uh, dairy farms in Blumenort, Manitoba, close to Steinbeck. Uh, church is in Ildeshane, just a little bit west of where we live. We are a confessional Reformed Baptist church. Started about uh, two years ago. Um, and it's yeah, it's been a wild ride. It's been great. People coming from all different places. Uh, some looking for Reformed theology. Some some finding it. Uh, just looking for kind of a you know conservative expository kind of church setting. Um, and so discovering that. And so it's it's been really good. And uh, started started small. We're we're certainly uh, growing. And at this point, I'm still able to do the via vocational thing. But we'll see see where this all goes. Right. Yeah. Right on. And me, same as always, Kurt, and uh, we also have Riley again, same as always. So let's get into it. Uh, Riley, why don't you open us up in a word of prayer, and we will uh, hit the topic. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for the technology that allows us to proclaim your word and your truth. Father, I pray that you would bless now this conversation. pray that it would be a blessing to all who hear, uh, that it would challenge and convict, and uh, uh, that you'd be glorified through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to talk about something that should be near and dear to the hearts of fathers everywhere. Yeah. So why don't you introduce our topic and let's let's get right into it. Yeah, well I wanted to just throw a quick uh, question at Matt. Um, yeah. We'll leave this open-ended, see where he wants to take it. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well that's okay, that's okay. Uh, what do you think about our public education system here in Canada? Canada and maybe in particular Manitoba? That is a big question. <laughs> um, I think it's, it, I'll maybe start with autobiographical history. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. at my age, I was born in 1979, um, that's all I would have ever known, right? So in my lived experience, public education was, the, if not the only, but certainly by far the primary delivery option for education. Yeah. And so I have lived in an era in which public education seems obvious. Right. It seems normal. Um, and, of course, I, I was educated that way. I graduated from the public system. Our kids started in the public system. Um, but it was really through, through understanding history, looking at church history, even secular history, mm-hmm. um, some of the theological concepts behind educating children, the classical Christianity, where I started to realize actually what a bizarre anomaly uh, public education was, mm-hmm. uh, right? We, we read, you know, of course people have always been educated at some level. Yeah. Um, we've had very high levels of education in the past on this continent and in Western Europe. Um, but I guess I made the erroneous assumption that that was always the same kind of delivery mechanism that we have today. Mm-hmm. And it manifestly was not. Public yeah. education... Uh, in terms of history, uh, is a relatively new thing, uh, you know, approximately 100 years old, in some places maybe a little bit older, but this is basically, uh, we're about 100 years into this test drive, and right. I think we're starting to show some signs that maybe yeah. this wasn't such a great idea. What are some of those signs? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I forget who it was, where I read somewhere, uh, it was a kind of a social commentary. This was actually from the 1970s uh, where I read this. Uh, 
where we have gone in the hundred years that that the state has been involved in education, we have gone from high school student students learning Greek and Latin mm -hmm. to universities needing to teach remedial English. <laughs> right. So would so, you say that it's a slip? Like, like in the last maybe forty years, it's been sliding downhill. I think. Or do you think it started sooner than that? You know, that's a good question. I think we're seeing the the bizarreness, you know, with the uh, the sexual agenda and some of that that has crept into public education is probably more of a novelty. And yet, even if I look back, you know, I went to school in a small little, you know, relatively conservative Mennonite town, and, you know, and my, my grade one teacher was my grandpa's cousin, Christian lady at church, right? Uh, my next teacher was a returned missionary who taught us to pray in German at mealtime, right? So it, it all seemed Christian. And, and to a degree, I don't doubt it was. The question is, even in that delivery mechanism, if you've got good people in place, is this still a sound, uh, historically validated mechanism for delivering education? I think is, is a valid question yeah. that everyone should at least think about. If, right. yeah, you know, another little quip that, that's stuck in my brain, I forget where I learned it, but the difference between an American and an Englishman, and we could apply Canadian here as well as the American, is that an Englishman thinks 100 miles is a long way, an American thinks 100 years is a long time. Right. Hmm. I, I think we don't uh, adequately recognize sometimes how short our ideas are in the span of big history. Mm -hmm. and, and so to me, a 100-year-old experiment is not, has not yet proven itself to work. Mm -hmm. Or I suppose you could say, or not work. It, we're 100 years into an experiment. Yeah. I think one of the root issues is um, well, the question of what is the goal of education, um, and what I'm what I'm hoping we'll get to in this conversation is to get Christians to ask that question, and to realize that our public education system answers that question in I think a very different way than what a Christian parent would. Um, so, for example, uh, I, I think. Right now, you, you kind of mentioned some of the, uh, the, the sexual agenda stuff that has infiltrated the schools. I think right now, one of the root issues is that our public education is trying to produce a particular kind of person, right? Which is what education is doing, right? This the education is about formation. It is about, you know, creating a certain, well, a certain kind of citizen is what the schools would be aiming at. Uh, you got to think of it as forming a certain type of person. Now ask the question, what kind of person do you want to make? Do you want to produce? Uh, and so on a worldview level, I think on just about every single worldview issue, right? So you think in metaphysics, question of ultimate reality, uh, thinking of morality, thinking of origins, thinking of anthropology, study and nature of man, all of these foundational areas, I think our current public school systems are giving radically different answers <laughs> to all of those than what a biblical worldview would. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to hear where you want to go with that question of talking about the delivery mechanism uh, as part of this. But just first, first off, come talk for us a little bit, Matt, on this, this question of worldview within the public school system. What are, what's your take on that? Yeah, so it's interesting you use the word citizen. What kind of a citizen are we there to create? And I think that's actually a key word. So um, I guess there's a, a positive and a negative way to answer those questions. Um, 
and I, I fear at the outset when people hear a conversation like this, they think, oh, so you're against education. Yeah. It, absolutely not. Keep listening. Right? Uh, please, please keep listening. Um, again, and this has to do with worldview training. Frequently when people um, have been educated a certain way and then they hear someone say, well, I'm not interested in so-and-so doing X, what they hear is, oh, so you don't want X to happen. Right. And that's not uh, at all where I personally, and I imagine you gentlemen aren't coming from, it's not that we don't want X to happen. Right. So, you, well, so well, you, we're essentially you asking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want children educated. Yeah, 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 them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want my children to struggle. No, uh, not at all. It, but to say I would, I think X happening at the hands of so and so rather than the hands of so and so is different than saying I'm not interested in X happening. Right? right. So, so please don't understand this as being you know devaluing education whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say because I value education, we want to, to your question, look at the whole person. Mm-hmm. What kind of a person are we trying to create? And in the classical Christian conception of education that has come to us in the English-speaking and Western world, what we want to do is create a whole person, mm-hmm. a free, free men and women right. who take responsibility for themselves, uh, who take responsibility for their families, who want to cultivate goodness uh, and beauty and truth mm-hmm. in their families, in their churches, in their communities, and and beyond that. But that implies that there is some meaning at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all education, I think we have to recognize, all education is religious in nature. Right. Yes. All forms of education have a unifying principle at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us as Christians, we would say that unifying principle is biblical Trinitarian Christianity. Yeah. So when we educate, we are not pretending like this is morally or value neutral or religiously right. neutral. It's manifestly not. We are training our children, in, uh, to use the, the language of Paul in uh, Ephesians 6 verse 4, in the paideia or in the fear and the instruction mm-hmm. and the nurture of the Lord. So whether you are a welder or a farmer or a lawyer or a senator or a blacksmith or a housewife or an educator, you're doing it for the glory of God. Right. And so education must be approached that way too. When you're learning about history, you're learning about God's providence. Right. When you're in a philosophy class, you're learning about Christ being the logos of, mm-hmm. of God. It's, it's oriented towards glorifying God right. in every aspect of life. Um, where secular or proposed secular education does have unifying religious principles at the top, but they are either denied or they are not properly understood that those religious principles are there. Right. So let's let's camp there for a second. Um, what what do you see as though as the actual unifying principle within our current public education system? What what is it that they would hold in in that place where we say God belongs? Right. Right. So, what have they, so we, we have the Trinitarian God of Scripture at the mm-hmm. top. What is that equivalent in yeah. a secular mindset? Yeah. And I think to answer that, we'd honestly, it, it would only be fair to look at historically who were the architects of the system? Mm-hmm. Who thought it was an idea to start with the state educating children rather than parents or churches or communities of parents? Um, right. This is, I'm not here to make an apologetic for homeschooling. We mm-hmm. don't homeschool. We have no plans to homeschool. Not that I'm opposed to it either. Mm-hmm. Um, there is legitimacy in a community hiring a teacher and, and educating children that way. But yeah. what we're talking about essentially is state or government control. Mm-hmm. 
That idea came about on this continent in the 1850s or so, uh, a gentleman by the name of Horace Mann, and then right after him, uh, John Dewey, who's a philosopher of pragmatism, uh, came along, and what they saw, they, they're working with kind of enlightenment progressive principles, where they saw the state as the unifying, organized, the unifying organ of society. Mm -hmm. So in the classical Christian conception, God is the unifying uh, power, or the, the center, so to speak, and people, individuals, congregate themselves into you know, little platoons, mm -hmm. uh, I think Edmund Burke called them, or where you've got molecular strength, right? A husband and wife and their family, there's some molecular strength. They're hold together and churches bond together, communities bond together. Mm -hmm. The Enlightenment concept was we got to break that apart, right? So now instead of people covenantally bound to each other, each person is just their own isolated citizen, mm -hmm. right? Like a bunch of BBs rolling around in a shoebox. Uh, we're all inside the shoebox, which is the state, but each BB is its own entity, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no glue holding these little groupings. There's yeah. no molecular strength. Um, and state education was seen as a means to that end. Mm -hmm. to, to take the, the world that Rousseau and, and Hegel and some of these gentlemen previously imagined and said, the church is a hindrance to progress. The family is a hindrance to progress. Mm -hmm. And I'm not making this up. This is, this is Horace Mann and John Dewey in their own words, that the, the schools must serve as an opposing force to these conservative institutions of yeah. the family and of the church. So it was set up directly in opposition to yeah. the family and the church because as long as parents, as long as pastors are educating children, they will remain far too conservative mm -hmm. to realize this Rousseauian kind of social contract. So what society. you're saying is the public school system is neutral. <laughs> I'm, they, they claim to be neutral, <laughs> but no, they are absolutely not neutral. So yeah. to go back to your original question, what's the unifying force? I'd say statism mm -hmm. would, be, uh, would be the organizing principle behind that. We're, yeah. we're stamping out <clears throat> citizens. And I don't think that's speculation. Before I was interested in any of this stuff, I remember Hanover School Division were, in my neck of the woods, were relatively you know, conservative, certainly by today's standards would be conservative. Many Christian families in Hanover. Mm -hmm. I remember reading stuff in the school division stuff about student-centered learning and producing good citizens. Yeah. And I think there too, okay, that goes back to the by what standard question. Mm -hmm. We're producing citizens. Yeah. Citizens of what? Yep. Citizens according to what standard and who will define what a good citizen is? Yeah. It's the by what standard question. Yeah. And, and that's where you see Christianity and secularism moving in very different directions. As a couple of years ago, there was a article by um, a lady con connected to Harvard University, uh, arguing for a the need for a preemptive ban on homeschooling, um, and uh, her language was basically that these many many of the people who are home homeschooling are Christian conservative type people. Uh, who are not going to instill in their children the social and democratic values that we need to, right? So it's like she recognizes there is a, a sharp d divide between the kind of person and the kind of education that a conservative Christian is trying to produce and that which the state is, right? They have a particular view for the type of citizen they want, and it is quite clearly not... <laughs> <laughs> what the conservative Christians are going to do. It's interesting, they use the word progressive, where they, they want progress in all of these different yeah. uh, 
social uh, programs and all of this. But in reality, the, the longer we see this experiment going on, the more and more we're sliding into ancient depravities. Yeah. Like backwards, not progress yeah. into better good, but actually sliding back yeah. um, into ancient depravities, which is, which is terrible. Yeah. So just to, I, I want to look at a little bit of our current situation with our government schools. Uh, so I, I think it's really helpful to look at it this way of seeing when you remove God from being the unifying principle uh, you have to replace him with something, right? Nature abhors a vacuum here, right? They see it as a job opening. <laughs> um, and so uh, you cannot escape the religious nature of life, and that applies to education as well. Um, and so I, I made the joke before about the schools being neutral. Uh, I do not believe they are neutral at all. Um, I believe there is a very specific and particular worldview that you're getting through these public schools. Uh, and, and I think it's helpful to think of secularism as a religion, right? And it absolutely is a religion. Right. Like you, you have, you have all these elements of it. You have, uh, you know, you, you have blasphemy laws, Yep. right? You, you shall not speak ill of certain things, right? People enforce their speech, right? Whatever you value in a society will be defended with some form of blasphemy laws, either formal or informal. Um, and so, and we have it marked on our public schools. You, you walk into the small school in this small town and there is a rainbow sticker that says, this is a safe space for LGBTQ plus, right? Welcome to a safe and inclusive space, which means, uh, there are particular religious commitments <laughs> that must be honored in this place. Um, uh, it is, it is not... It is not neutral at all, and I think it's helpful to think of secularism in terms of a religion because if you ask Christian parents, would you send your kid to a Muslim school? Right, many of them will say no. Right. Yep. Many of them will say no. It's like, but would you send your? But you do send your kids to this religious school, and they they don't think of the public schools that way, right? But it's like you realize, like what part part of what uh, a part of why they don't want to send their kids to a Muslim school is like, well, no, that's a different worldview. Right. Right. They're going to be taught the wrong things on morality, uh, origin, origins, yes. right. sexuality, <laughs> ultimate, yeah, yeah. ultimate reality, right? All these different worldview areas. You're like, well, no, I don't want my kids brought up in a, in a Muslim paideia. <laughs> I don't want them uh, indoctrinated in those doctrines. Um, and so, no, I wouldn't send my child there. But what you need to realize is that the public school systems are every bit as religious. They have just replaced Islam with secularism as the religion. Uh, so you're being taught very particular things on origins, on sexuality, on the nature of man, on uh, all these different worldview areas. What a um, lot of parents don't see either is that the schools and the, the people who are in the schools are going to defend those things with religious zealous, unlike even a lot of Christians, well, for their own beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much zealousness inside that system. Well, and I, I think, you know, in my own experience, and I'm not going to be a, a legalist or load people down with heavy loads here, uh, I'm not either going to suggest that there's only one way to educate children. Mm -hmm. And I grant just the way things have been set up and the, the cultural and lifestyle momentum, it may, be take, you know, it may take some families a certain time to think through this and to, mm -hmm. to recalibrate. So yeah. 
I'm not going to say, you know, if your kids are in the public school, you're, you're automatically sinning and, and so forth. And yet, uh, the, the defensiveness with which sometimes these conversations are met with, even by well-meaning Christians, tells me this is either so deeply ingrained and so deeply assumed that you're not even allowed to have this conversation, or people know, you know, their spidey senses are tingling. Yeah, I know there's something not right here, but I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Right? I don't, I'm, we're not geared up for homeschooling. My wife's going to go crazy if we homeschool. And your That's kids are going to turn out weird. And, and your kids yes, will yeah. turn out weird. And we don't have money for private school and, and so forth. So I want to be gracious in terms of understanding the, the, the situation on the ground. And yet at the same time, when people are defensive about the, the public schools, like, no, no, this has to be the way it's delivered, is it? Like, well, no, let's think about this. <laughs> think about it from a historical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Would this have made sense, you know, 150 years ago? Mm -hmm. And most Christians, you actually read up in, uh, in the 1850s, the very first public schools happened in Massachusetts in the late 1850s, and they were actually interrupted by the Civil War for a period. Uh, but by some reports, upwards of 80% of the parents were opposed, hmm. and, and the military actually had to get called in as these children were forcibly taken from their parents hmm. in Cape Cod in the 1850s. This was such a revolutionary concept, and I don't use the word revolutionary in a positive sense, yeah. uh, generally. Uh, it was an absolutely revolutionary concept that you would take children away from their families for hours on end mm -hmm. and educate them against the wishes and the values of their parents. Yeah. But this was seen... Uh, as the cost of progress. And now, Chesterton says, you know, how, how fast revolutions become old and worse yet, respectable. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are, right? We're, we're, we're hardly 100 years into this thing mm -hmm. in most places, and it's, it's old, it seems obvious, plus it seems respectable. Mm -hmm. and, and Almost I people just can't even imagine another way. They, yeah. they can't imagine that, that, yes, kids did learn to read and write and learn right. history yeah. and learn how to do math, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and sometimes Latin and Greek... Yeah. And this could happen in the 1700s and the 1600s and the 1800s. Um, I don't think we're well ahead of that. I don't think the fruit of this delivery mechanism is so obviously superior yeah. that we should just dismiss historical and classical yeah. ways of educating children. And I'm sure as a pastor, you've encountered this too. And I, I, think, the, I think the public schools are at the center of the epidemic amongst young people who have been affected by the transgender movement uh, and all things LGBTQ+. Um, I, just being on the phone with mothers who are saying, you know, my, my child <laughs> thinks they're something other than they are, right? And it's like, this is, this is really destroying families. And I, I, think, I think you gotta put the onus pretty squarely on the public school system as one of the primary contributors to this. Right. And, and this is where even you get some defense sometimes from uh, Christians saying, well, no, we need to have more Christian teachers in the public schools uh, to be salt and light. And, and send your kids as missionaries. And that, yeah. yeah. Oof. But, but I mean, I never like that one. But, but part of it is like, well, sure, if they were going to be there and actually be salt, actually be preserving something, slowing down the degradation, then yes, I'm all for that. Uh, if they're going to be light, then and shine the light and dispel darkness and do those kinds of things. Like, okay, you may have an argument here, um, but as it stands, these schools are conquered territory, right? It, it's got the, it's got the sticker on the on the door when you come in. The flag is up. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's over everything. Um, and so the Christian teachers are left with the option: uh, capitulate 
go along with all of this, right? If you have a, a quote unquote transgender child in your class, you have to call them by their preferred pronouns. You have to call them by their chosen names, uh, even though you know it's a lie. And, and the option is go along with this or get fired. And you can't <clears throat> even tell the parents if the kid hasn't come out to their parents yet. Like the teacher is bound by law to keep it a secret. Right. So kids can can actually be a girl at transgender school and a boy at school at home. and without their parents knowing. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's pretty That's wild. Insane. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, things have changed so much. You talked about how it was for you growing up. Uh, I had a similar experience. I had three years in a row. Uh, all of my teachers were in our church quartet <laughs> from grades three, four, and five. <laughs> Probably know who they you, are. You know who they are. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was it for me too. We were taught the Lord's Prayer. And what, what I want people to understand is just how much things have changed uh, to try to get this conversation going in people's minds. Um, and so uh, to get this question of who it is that is responsible for education and you alluded before to Ephesians 6, 4, which addresses fathers, right? Bring up your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, right? And so education is discipleship. Uh, it, is, it is an integral part of discipleship. So we have this task to bring our children up with everything that entails. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I don't think it means that parents have to do everything themselves. I think it's perfectly lawful to bring in tutors and bring in others to, uh, to assist with that. Um, but you need to have this question for yourself as a Christian parent. Um, first off, that it is your responsibility to bring up your children in this way. Uh, and then to second, so now with that as your understanding, now, now ask, so if that's my responsibility, what is the best way to do this? Right? There's a few options open to me. And I think to answer that, you need to think through the goal of what are you aiming at? So what, what should be the goal of a Christian parent as they are thinking about this question of discipling slash educating their children? Yeah, and that's, that's loaded too. Um, but I think in simplest form, as Christians, we understand that we are image bearers of God. Mm -hmm. And so the, the mandate that families have, that parents, and, and ultimately that rests on us as fathers, as heads of our homes, is to produce image bearers who are living for the glory of God, which mm -hmm. means they are actively killing sin in their lives. They are mm -hmm. actively growing in holiness. They're actively becoming well-rounded, complete men and women who understand their place in the world and who understand the world around them. Yeah. Because they've been taught to see things in the light of Scripture, right. which is ultimately the, the norming norm. Yeah. Which cannot be normed, uh, to use old language. Say it in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's, that's so good. Um, I, I think of Psalm 127 is where I come back to again and again, right? Children are blessing from the Lord and a heritage. Amen. They are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, the children of man's youth. And I love what Woody Bauckham says on this, where he says, I want more than just arrows. I want intercontinental ballistic missiles. <laughs> right? Sounds like Bodhi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so one day that silo is going to open yeah. and my children will be launched yeah. one by one out into the world to, to do some damage. Pollute the shadows. To the kingdom of darkness. Yeah. Amen. Mm -hmm. And so if, that, if that's your goal, right, to create this uh, image bearer of God who's going to image God accurately, right, if your goal is to create the kind of person who will actually be an impact for the kingdom of God, um, that's going to require a very strong uh, desire and approach to discipleship. 
a very deliberate approach to discipleship and education. And so for my kids, I want to do so much more than simply replicate the public school system of the 90s that I grew up in. Right. Because <laughs> in 30 years, we'll just end up right back, right here. Yeah. Conservatism is not about setting the clock back. Right. It's about the fixed things. Yeah. What do we want? The same as the liberals. Yeah. When do we want it? Slightly yeah. after them. Slower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, and that's exactly it. Right. So I don't, I don't actually just want my kids to receive what I got. Um, I don't want them to just get, you know, the current public education scrubbed fr- with some, from some of the ickiness. Right. I actually want a robustly Christian world and life view. Um, that will turn them into true disciples and, you know, ICBMs. Um, so that's, that's my goal. And so with that in mind, I would say sheltering is insufficient, right? So if, if all that you get from this is that you should take your kids out of the public schools, I would say that might be a good first step, um, but your, your job's not done there. Uh, I, I like to talk in terms of, you know, bubble wrap versus boot camp, <laughs> Right? It's like, are you just trying to shelter and protect them, or are you trying to actively equip them? Right. Uh, and there's, there's the big difference. So uh, w- with that in mind, that we have a particular goal, we have a particular type of disciple we're trying to produce, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you've alluded to as well on the, cr- the classical Christian education um, movement and for yourself in being part of trying to get a school started? Right. So there's two streams there, the classical stream and the Christian stream. Um, Let's start with the Christian stream because that's the most important. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Christian education would basically say, um, whatever we're going to study today, be it history, be it chemistry, be it the laws of logic, be it math, we're uh, self-consciously going to start every class and every day acknowledging that Christ is Lord here. Jesus Christ is Lord of math. Math is something we discovered. We did not have a math convention and decide on the rules that we're discovering mm-hmm. math. Well, how did it get there? Well, the divine mind, right? Jesus Christ is Lord of chemistry and physics. What we're doing is peering into get a small picture of how his providence works right. in motion and in, in the natural world and so forth. And that, that gives a little bit of fleshing out what you said before about a unifying principle. It's, it's the unifying principle. Right. Christ is Lord yeah. of math. Christ is Lord of chemistry. Yeah. Christ is Lord of world history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see, to, to help integrate these little minds, so that everything we're going to study here is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Neutrality doesn't exist, yeah. and I always like to follow that up with. You know, it, yes, it's true, neutrality is a myth. It does not exist. But I'd like to follow that up with, even if it did, it would be absolutely sinful. Mm-hmm. Neutrality would be yes. sinful because neutrality is just a tepid rejection of the Lordship of Christ right. over all things. Yeah, to, to declare so, his Lordship doesn't apply here. Right, when, which is what neutrality yeah. claims. Yeah. Right, so it would be sinful. We, mm-hmm. And so we're Christians, which means Christ is Lord of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and children need to be educated in that direction. So it's a unifying principle. Um, I think even that, you know, language that we don't think about that has come down to us to this day the university well what is that Mm. that is a a grappling with the fact that in the world that we live in there is one and many Mm -hmm. there's unity and there's diversity and the universities were christian project to see that and the faculty that united all the other faculties Mm. was theology 
right? Theology was the queen of the sciences that united chemistry and history and math and, and political science and economics. It's all under the lordship of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we move away from that Trinitarian conception, which is actually where the, the, the problem or the problem or the, the, the mandate of understanding the one and the many comes from, the fact that this world is a, created by a triune God. Mm -hmm. God himself is one and many. Um, and once we move away from that, we, we tend to move, well, not tend to move, we do move at various speeds into absurdity. So the mm -hmm. Christian piece <laughs> is the most important piece. We're deciding between Christ or chaos. Mm -hmm. I am a Christian, so I want Christ. Amen. All of Christ for all of Christ, uh, all of Christ for all of life, including the education of my children, which means at home, and it means I will be sorely equipped in one hour on Sunday and a couple half-hour blocks throughout the week to undo eight hours a day at the hands of Caesar. Yeah. Right? Uh, Bodhi also says, you know, don't, don't send your kids uh, to Caesar and then be surprised when they come back obedient Romans. Yeah. Right? This is, this is true. <laughs> Coloring a picture of Noah's Ark is not going to undo catechesis in secularism. It, it just won't. Um, Especially if it's an inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, if everyone's happy and smiling, right, yeah. you're not getting on it. Yeah. We've got three drafts, and, or two drafts, and a couple of birds and an elephant's trunk. And everyone's happy. Yeah. Everybody's smiling. Nobody's covered yeah. in uh, animal, you know. Yeah. Dung. There's no floating bodies. No, yeah. that's right. Um, and the classical piece is basically, it's really, it's, a, it's an ancient concept mm -hmm. um, that has been used even in non-Christian context of working with the natural development of young minds and kind of cutting with the grain of how children develop naturally in the providence of God and working with that. So it's, it's less oriented towards particular subjects and more oriented towards the tools of learning mm -hmm. so that a child can pick up tools of learning. So we're teaching them essentially how to think rather than what to think, mm -hmm. and that can be applied just as easily to plumbing and welding as it can be to political science and economics. Right, right. so we, we speak of the liberal arts. The liberal arts, you're yes. Not, you're not just talking about particular job training. Correct. Right, but it's rather giving you the kinds of tools that will enable you to learn any kind of job. Right, yeah, and classically <laughs> that's been conceived as, or called the trivium, mm -hmm. right? So there's, there's three uh, convergences, so at, in, at the very young years of a child's development they're learning it's called the grammar phase they're learning vocabulary they're learning colors they're yeah. learning numbers they're yeah. learning the data bits yeah and it's all just rote memorization it's just rote memorization yeah. this is green this is blue you know this is seven this is two mm -hmm. um and and so forth uh which that sounds like uh legalism well <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that yeah. This has to be green because we no, told you it's green. Yeah. I'm just kidding. There are tremendous benefits to living in reality. Not natural law. Natural law, the light of nature, common grace. Um, but that eventually advances to what's called the grammar uh, phase, or the, uh, logic. the logic phase, sorry, the uh, pedagogy, uh, no, oh, it's not coming to me now. But yes, the logic phase, where you start putting those pieces together in a coherent way. Mm -hmm. Right? So now it's not just two as a value, it's two plus three equals five. Mm -hmm. These three words make a sentence. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. These these seven letters make a word. You, That's the logic phase. Yeah. So the young kids absolutely love rote memory. Uh, they love to know the what's. Yeah. Right? The mm -hmm. logic starts to ask why. That's right. And it's right at the stage where kids begin doing that. So it kind of shifts around grade five, right? To where you go from the grammar to the logic. Right. Is that correct? 
Yeah, and that's where the kids start to get uh, under their parents' skin sometimes because they want to know <laughs> why. Well, why, right? And just because dad said so is no longer a good enough answer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you really see the development of a natural uh, flow of a child's uh, mind mm-hmm. where you go from the giddiness of learning the alphabet song, right? How yeah. do you learn the letters? Well, it's just through catechesis. It's through rote memorization, A, B, C, D, right? Mm-hmm. And you do that enough times, mm-hmm. the data bits are there. Then you start making words. Then you start using words persuasively, right? So which now, is the rhetoric. Now the third phase. The rhetoric phase, uh, yeah. where, where you start being persuasive mm-hmm. in, your, uh, in your argumentation. Yeah. Being able to use the logic, you understand cause and effect, and now you're going to apply it right. uh, and become eloquent in it. Right. Ideally. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Where you can persuade someone of your uh, position, where mm-hmm. you can use uh, a logically well-worked-out argument and you can uh, explain it to someone else in an effort to persuade, mm-hmm. uh, to make a, a compelling argument, a yeah. logical argument. Yeah. Yeah. So three phases. So this is key to the classical method. These three phases that follow uh, the child's natural stages of development, so being grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Um, that's, I, I think that's really helpful. I'm, I'm very convinced of the, the value of this, uh, but uh, is, there more, is there more to it in order for it to be considered classical education? So we got those three phases. Uh, talk a little bit about the, what you're reading and the, the corpus of literature. Well, we're not there yet. Um, I would still consider myself a student of classical education. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking as a pastor and as a father, and Lord willing, one day a grandfather, how can we do this well? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that, and you'll get different answers from different people on how to implement the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of classical education. Mm-hmm. Certainly it involves the trivium, certainly it involves um, cutting with the grain of natural development mm-hmm. and taking more of a tools approach to learning rather than a subject-oriented approach. Mm-hmm. Right? So once you have the tools of learning, you can apply them on everything from how to be a good welder to how to be a good economist, mm-hmm. right? Or how to be a good chemist. Okay, are, you, <clears throat> are you saying the tools of learning being uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric? That's right. Straight throughout? You apply those to any subject you are going to encounter. Yeah. So they're, they're very versatile. So those don't, it's not like, okay, we're, we're grade five, now we're through the, through the logic phase, now we're going into the rhetoric phase, and we're going to be in there for the rest of our life. Like when you start into a new well, a new job or a new topic or something, then you start back at the right. So if I was if I were to move into the world of basketball, never having played basketball, mm-hmm. as a forty something year old, I would be starting basketball, at learning the, to dribble, at, at learning the the grammar, learning to dribble, right? So I, because that's a new field for me. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it it's it's less of a subject oriented approach and more towards a developmental yeah. approach of stretching your mind. Yeah. Uh, advancing in a discipline which can be applied equally in the academic world and in the vocational okay. world, yeah. I would say uh, both. Yeah, the idea is that by by following this method, you are teaching people how to learn. Um, and this is my understanding: is that very commonly it will involve uh, other languages as well, often Latin yep. or Latin and or Greek, Greek. And classical languages. Yeah, um, and largely because learning those languages, learning learning these languages in particular really develop your ability to learn, right? So learning a language teaches you how to learn. Um, and that's, that's the main thing that this is aiming at. It, it's giving you tools. It's, it's helping you develop. Well, how do, I, how do I become an expert in a particular area? 
It's like, well, use these tools, right? This is how you do it. it you're, you've been taught how to think um, how, and how to uh, be able to, basically to be equipped to be able to learn about new and new things, um, which I think is a pretty big contrast, again, from what we were talking about before with aiming at a, just producing a particular kind of citizen who will be a, you know, a cog in a, a particular... <laughs> Another brick in the wall. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, so tr learning how to think being one of the, the main goals of this method. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's really good. And you talk about a corpus of literature. I think, yeah, obviously reading um, and proficiency in reading is a, a critical element mm -hmm. of this, to understand the classical world. I think many of us have this conception that world history started, you know, when my grandpa was born. Mm -hmm. Or worse yet, when dad was born. Yeah. Right? Um, but to see the classical world, and I would agree with you on languages. You know, we're both preachers. You, you can't really be involved in the theological world without some working knowledge of Latin because all theological discourse happened in Latin. And it's amazing how many of those words, even in you know suffixes and prefixes of words we use in our native English, come to us from the ancient Latin and Greek world. Yeah. Right? To be, to be somewhat conversant in the ancients helps you to even understand your own mm -hmm. uh, age and your own time that much better and to be yeah. a, a more versatile thinker. So when you encounter a new field all those tools are built in you so that, yes, this field may be new to me, but learning how to interact in a new field is not new to me. Right. Mm -hmm. I've got the tools there. I can learn a new discipline. Yeah. yeah. And so just for those who maybe don't, aren't familiar with this terminology, so when we're talking classical, we're meaning the classic Western tradition. Correct. Right. So, so this is going to, you're going to be reading the classics. The kind that's so old, it's new once again. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so ba basically, looking at the what what has what has shaped and formed the West, right? Trying to give a really good answer to the question of how we got here, <laughs> um, which is going to help you so much in in understanding the world <laughs> around you. Um, and and one of the big things that I've appreciated in looking into this has been also this. You, you, we were talking about it with the unifying principle, but this this idea of an integrated approach to education rather than a segmented and fractured one. Uh, so I, I had a quote here that I liked, and it was talking about how this is more than adding a Bible verse to the curriculum, <laughs> right? But when, when history, science, math, philosophy, art, and other subjects are integrated around the truth that God is the creator of all that exists, and therefore all knowledge is interrelated and points back to him, as Yuna said, theology is the queen of the sciences with all subjects understood through the revealed word of God, and natural human history and philosophy. So, Amen. where's it, that from? Uh, that was from the Association of Classical Christian Schools. Okay, ACCS, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, you are you are learning how to learn. You are following the natural stages of human development. Um, and the Christian piece means that you know all of Christ for all of life. We have the Triune God as our unifying principle. Um, I am convinced of this. We are we are going to try to do this for. Uh, for our children, beginning with homeschooling, as that seems like the, the easiest way to, to start things off. Uh, do you want to just give a quick little pitch for uh, for the school work that you're doing? Uh, or are you not far enough along to have much to say there? Uh, I'm not far enough along to make any promises. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yes, there is sufficient interest in this delivery of education in the classical Christian conception mm -hmm. uh, at Trinity where I pastor. 
and we have enough interested parties that we have put a committee together to explore uh, the logistics and some of the very practical and strategic questions of what would it take mm -hmm. uh, for us as a church to establish a classically Christian school. We're not mm -hmm. there yet. Uh, some preliminary steps have happened. We have a committee exploring this. Uh, one of the challenges is because the classical world is so far away from us, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's 200 plus years gone from us. Uh, a lot of this is retrieval work. Now, yeah. thankfully, there has been a renewed interest in the last 20 or 30 years or so in classical Christian education. So ACCS has mm -hmm. done stuff. Dorothy Sayers' essay was kind of a groundbreaking essay, and mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis helped to, yeah. to, to get this kind of world back on the map again. And, and so things have been happening, which is great. Um, but for us, no one on this committee has been educated in the classical model. Right. So for us, it's it, being at the front end of teaching something that you yourself did not learn as a child mm -hmm. presents challenges. But I believe it's a challenge that's well worth it mm -hmm. uh, because I want Christian kids to be the best educated, yeah. most well-versed, yeah. uh, most anti-fragile people. Yeah. Uh, because, frankly, the future always belongs to people who can think in wholes rather than in parts, mm -hmm. as Francis Schaeffer said. Uh, and so I would love it if us as a church, uh, and churches and Christians generally, would capture this vision for education, mm -hmm. that we can create anti-fragile kids who live as free citizens in God's world, and yes, good citizens, but good citizens according to this standard, not mm -hmm. to some arbitrary <laughs> uh, man-made standard, to be productive, uh, fruitful men and women in society. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Somebody, you guys are going to have to listen to this two, three times to, <laughs> to pick up everything. Yeah. Um, we'll maybe put some links in the description to find some further uh, resources. Yeah, um, that would be a great idea. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's a heavy one. Um, thanks, Matt, for coming out on short notice, and, and Riley for kind of putting this all together. This is really good. I have, I have very little to do today, except for make jokes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, those are valuable. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> all right, so next week is going to be a no-go, because I'm going to be on vacation. Ah. And then after that, maybe we'll have some more guests uh, going into the end of the winter season. Lord willing. All right, take care.